gospel on this Wednesday, June the 21st, in the year of our Lord, 2021. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we've got some emails that we want to share with you that I think will help you understand the necessity of KFUO radio broadcast. Pastor Tom, I felt compelled to let you know how much I appreciate your program. I do wish that proper distinctions between law and gospel were preached more in our churches. And certainly, Pastor speaks of it from time to time. But I hear people in our own congregation, longtime members, where I detect a slight measure of suspicion when our discussion reaches the point where I say something like, we don't contribute anything to our salvation, absolutely nothing. One response is, okay, sure, I know that, but you do need to, and then finishes the sentence, or, but you do have to believe and say so with your mouth. When I say that you only believe because God has given you faith to do that, and besides, that is a promise, not a condition, I really think they don't quite understand. I need to try harder to not let it frustrate me. Learning about proper law and gospel has made me even more grateful for what our Savior has done for us. It's fulfilled. It's done. We can add nothing to our salvation. We can only respond with profound gratitude and an irresistible compulsion to do his work. I pray that God will use me to let people see the truth about the sacrifice of Christ for all. Thank you again for a terrific program in Christ, and then it's signed. So, this is a common understanding about the difficulty in really recognizing law and gospel. And the reason for that is because of Satan. Satan wants to give us the impression that we have to do something in order to be saved. In fact, that's the answer that a number of denominations give as to why some are saved and others are not saved. They think that, well, I have to have faith, and it is my faith that saves me. How do we explain to someone what this email writer says, that you only have faith because that is a promise from God, not a condition? I always kind of like using well, what I refer to as a modern parable. For example, a woman has a baby, and she takes the baby home, puts it to bed, she's asleep with her husband, and then they hear the baby crying. Well, wait a minute. What is that crying? Why does the baby cry? Is that the reason why they are a baby? 
Do you wait until the baby cries to know if they're human or not? No, we're discovering that even in the womb, the baby at very, very young age can feel pain, can, can smile, has a heartbeat. That's what makes a baby a human being. Therefore, you can't say, well, I know my baby is a human being because he cries or she cries. No. That's part of becoming a human being, is you're able to evoke sounds. And when you have a need, you'll cry as a baby. That isn't something the baby decides to do in order to be a baby. Any more than when a person has faith that that is something that they have come up with their own minds. Yes, I, I guess I need to believe in Jesus Christ. So today I'm going to turn my life over to him. And then when somebody asks them, how do you know you're saved? And they say, because I believe. That, that's so ridiculous. It's like saying, how do you know your baby is a human being? Oh, because it cries. No. Crying is part of being a human being. Having faith is part of being a Christian. So I, I truly believe that in their heart of hearts, Christians believe what Lutherans believe. But sometimes it seems to be unreasonable. Because when you say you don't know anything to be saved, they really have problems with that. Thinking that, no, there must be something that I do. Going on to the next email, Dear Pastor Tom, I have been deeply troubled about a topic at the interdenominational church that I attend. Almost every week, we are taught that if you don't pay tithes, then God will not hear your prayers and will not answer them. We are also not able to be in leadership positions if tithes aren't paid. If a person at the church is in need, they will first check your tithing history in order to see if you have been paying prior to giving any benevolence to you. The other night the pastor said that if you have been praying about something and yet not paying tithes, that if, you, if your prayer gets answered, that it is not from you praying but it is from someone else possibly many years ago, such as a parent that has prayed for you. In saying this, he is telling us that God turns a deaf ear to our prayers if we don't pay him. We are also taught that you are supposed to pay first fruits which at our church, the pastor interprets to mean to give an entire week's salary at the beginning of the year. And in addition to tithes, offering, and first fruits, 
we are expected to give towards building funds, pastors' appreciations, visiting pastors, etc. We are taught that you are supposed to bless the man of the house and that he is due double honor in accordance to 1 Timothy 5.17. We are taught to obey our pastor, and we must follow whatever vision he has, because we must be in agreement in order to receive God's blessings. However, I look at what Jim Jones did. That's the individual who had his congregation drink poison Kool-Aid. And know that you do not follow a leader if he's teaching against what the Bible says. One time we had a bishop to come to our church, and pastor wanted us to give him a donation for coming. That wasn't what bothered me. What I disagreed was with the verse he used to get people to give money. The per- portion of the verse used was Acts 4.35 which says that they laid money at the apostles' feet. But the pastor did not read the entire text. And the interpretation that I got from it was that this money was used for the poor and needy and not for the apostles themselves. I don't mind giving, and I love to give, but I don't agree with the concept of saying that God will only hear me if I pay him money. Didn't Jesus pay it all on the cross? What do you tell someone if it comes between paying rent, buying food, or medication with regards to paying tithes? Uh, Another area I disagree with is their interpretation of speaking in tongues. They believe that you must have a prayer language that the Spirit uses to interpret your prayers to God. They feel that you must pray for this. I think God understands me perfectly in English. What is your belief on this subject? Pastor Tom, I am not able to listen to you during your normal broadcast hour, and so I would appreciate it if you would talk about this and send me an email for the date this will be discussed. Thank you so much for your time. And then it's signed. Well, this is one of our great listeners who has great insight into theology. And what I mean by that, the more he hears about this nonsense of ties that his pastor is teaching, the more he realizes that it contradicts biblical theology. And that's also true with this idea of speaking in tongues. I think I told you I had attended a church, and during the worship service, four or five people were encouraging a woman to try to speak in tongues because they believed that you were not saved unless you spoke in tongues, an unknown language, supposedly that the angels use, whereas at Pentecost, the language was known languages, foreign, that the disciples were teaching in, like to Arabs and to others. Now, this whole idea of having to pay tithes, this is a selfish pastor. 
Yes, you're to give honor to the pastor, and maybe he is due double honor because he is God's messenger. But you can't translate that into saying that you're to give him double the money. Therefore, the idea also that we are taught to obey our pastor and we must follow whatever vision he has because we must be in agreement in order to receive God's blessings. So here you have a pastor who not only says that giving a tithe is basically how you are becoming saved, because without the tithe, guess what? Your prayers are not answered. Now, you may get an answer to your prayer, but that's because somebody else prayed for you, not because of your prayer. If this isn't legalism, which means you have to do something in order to be saved and continue to be saved, I don't know what is. The word tithe, by the way, does not appear in the moral law of the Ten Commandments. It's part of the ceremonial law. And a tithe wasn't 10% unless you were giving animals or grain. It was either 12 or 20% according to the end of the book of Leviticus if you're giving cash. So we are no longer under those particular ceremonial laws. That was obvious when Peter was on the roof and he had a vision of unclean meat. God told him three times, eat it. And, God, and Peter said, I will not eat, which is unclean. And what did God say? What I have declared to be clean, do not consider unclean. And then Peter went and visited the, Gal, the Gentile centurion and found that they came to faith in the same way the Jews did by the power of the Holy Spirit. So this is a pastor who's worried that he's not getting enough money and therefore twists the Bible to give you the impression, well, you want your prayers answered? You better be giving a tithe, plus to the building fund, etc. No. There are people who are unable to afford even 10% because they're on welfare. I had a number in my congregation, and yet they would still give 2 or $3 a week, which I knew was hard for them to give. But because of their love to God, they did so. How do you question, by the way, whether somebody is giving a tithe? Do you make them tell you what their salary is? And then let's say they get $30,000 a year. Is the tithe on the gross amount of the salary or is it on the net amount after taxes are taken out, hospital insurance, payment of a car, 
etc. This gets really confusing. So I'm so happy that this particular listener has understood that law and gospel means there is nothing you need to give God or do in order for your prayers to be answered. Getting back to that baby in the other room crying, can you imagine the mother and father, they're in bed in another room, they hear their baby crying, and the father says, well, he doesn't know how to speak English. I have no idea what's wrong with him. So let's wait until he can explain to us why he is crying. And they both go back to sleep while the baby is crying. No, the baby hasn't given them anything. And yet proper parents will respond. And that's why God the Father responds. Then we have an email from a, a woman who's a teacher and wrote some items. She says, our pastor was in my room telling me of the conversation he had with you last night. He's very excited about working to bring you here. Thank you so much. I find it a real blessing to watch as this unfolds and see how God's kingdom work can be done more effectively. Thank you for being willing to come, instruct, and share with us. Your communications with me and Pastor, they're such a breath of fresh air for me. It's a needed spiritual shot in the arm. This year, God has used you in my life to think beyond my typically narrow perspective. Whether the publishing of any of the stuff I sent you happens or not, God has still used you to enrich my thinking about law and gospel. I now have the potential to be a better teacher this year because God has used you in my life. Now, I would change that sentence. I would say she's a better teacher because God has used the Holy Spirit in her life. We're just simply a messenger. Nobody worshipped John the Baptizer, even though he gave a tremendous message in preparation for Jesus Christ. The real one who gets the credit is the Holy Spirit. Getting back to her letter, God's children are so precious. They are his redeemed children. I strive to be the best teacher God can make me to be. It is always my prayer that I not get in the way and God's clear plan of salvation through Jesus be at the center of my teaching. God has used your, you and your conversations and thoughts both on the radio and on the phone to work his will in me. And I don't mind that statement at all, because God uses every pastor to work his will through the power of the Holy Spirit in a person. Next email. This is someone 
who sent me a hymn that they had written on the basis of law and gospel programming. Wow. You looked at my hymn and spent the whole program on it. I thank God for the gifts he gives to us, and it's even better when we can do it together. I weep sometimes thinking how much he loves us and lavishes his grace upon us. We deserve nothing good given to us, yet there is much more to come. You are a blessing, Brother Tom, a vital part of God's body. You have uplifted my spirit. My wife and three sons were so excited to hear you talking on the radio about my song, I've always wanted them to hear your program. Hopefully now I can get them to hear good and sound theology more, as well as listen to your kind and clear presentation. They are hoping to find that hour of your show on the archive to send to friends then even more will find out about my favorite program. And by the way, I recontacted this email writer and told him how to find the program on the archive. Did you know, and this is his last statement, did you know that in heaven, when you close your eyes, the light is still there. Now, I understand that to mean that Jesus is the light of the world. So, we here at KFUO, that is our goal, to do what the Levites did when Ezra read the law. Because when you read the law of God, a lot of times you may get the impression I have to do these things in order that God will hear me, like that previous email writer. I've got to give a tithe, or God will not hear my prayers. But the law, these are not conditional in order to be saved. If that were true, then the cross of Christ has no effect on my salvation, because I'm still not able to obey the law perfectly at all times. That's why Jesus Christ came to earth. He became incarnate. That means he took on human flesh for what purpose? So that he might die on the accursed cross and pay for our sins. The reason the Father will never desert you is because he deserted the person that you believe in. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And God the Father had forsaken Jesus because he had the sins of the entire world on his shoulders. Not only the past sins, not only the present sins, but also the future sins, and not only the sins of action, but also the sins of thought and of word. So if you're in a congregation that ends up by giving you the impression that you need to do something 
to make sure that you are saved, then you need to find a truly Lutheran church. And not all Lutheran churches are the same. For example, the ELCA denomination has many false teachings, such as abortion, homosexuality. They even have male pastors getting married together. You don't want to attend an ELCA church. You will not be hearing the word of God at all times. Instead, find a Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, but visit it ahead of time and make sure that the worship service is appropriate, that the songs are always focused on Jesus, not on you, and the pastor doesn't spend a lot of time in the sermon talking about how much he is worth and how much you need to pay him. No, God's word is sufficient. And therefore, a proper pastor, what he does is he simply responds to you what he has heard from God. He is God's mouthpiece. And therefore, anytime somebody challenges what I say, I simply ask them, well, did you know that that's in the Bible? And I give them the Bible verse. That's proper preaching. I'm Tom Baker. I think I hear the music. And therefore, we're near the end of the program. On tomorrow's Law and Gospel, we'll be talking with Wes Reimnitz about a very important letter put out by the president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, President Matthew Harrison. Till then, God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962.